Would you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning that we would honor you. I pray that we would honor you with our words, with our singing, with our lives. Um, And Father, you are king. So today is another good day to worship you. So we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you uh, for your kindness to us. And I just pray that you would bless this service. I pray it in uh, the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, The kids can now be uh, dismissed up to grade six this morning. We have the grade five, six class going. I know that for a fact. I like the teacher. Uh, Good morning. My name's Dave Meisner. I'm uh, here to uh, preach this morning. I'm filling in for Pastor Chris as he's away. Lord willing, he will be back next week. Uh, Please open your Bible to John chapter 15. John 15. Now, I I know I just told you to sit, but... uh, If you don't mind, if you could stand out of reverence for God's word, I'm going to read it um, out loud. John 15, verses 1 to 8. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my, my disciples. Amen. You, ha- you can have a seat. Before we get going, I'm going to pray again. You may think, man, he prays a lot. Yep, trying. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you again for this morning. I pray that as I open your word, as I read your word, as I preach your word, I pray, Father, that you would give uh, the people here the ears to hear what the Spirit would say. I pray again that I would fall away, that I would become less, that you would become more. Lord, we need you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of the message today is Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Before I actually jump into going through verse by verse through John 15, if you could turn over to the right to John chapter 20. We're looking at verses 30 and 31. Over this Easter season, over the last four weeks, we have been in the gospel of John. Well, why is that? These these verses help us. John 20, verse 30, 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. Here at Redemption, we want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We also want you to continue believing that you may have life in his name. This aligns with our mission statement, lost people saved, saved people matured, and matured people multiplied all to the glory of God. You know, it was 25 years ago, almost to the day, that I gave my life to the Lord. I was lost, I was a fool. I didn't grow up going to church. But long story short, I knew there was a God, I knew that I was a sinner, and I heard about a Savior, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross and rose to life. He paid the penalty for my sins. So at an Easter Sunday service at a little church in Fallbrook, California, I raised my hand and prayed a sinner's prayer. But I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what that meant. On the Monday after the Easter Sunday, my friend Kent brought me a Bible and he said, I heard you became a Christian yesterday. I said, no, wait, whoa, I'm not a Christian. I just want Jesus to be Lord of my life, but I am not a Christian. He said, that's cool, man. Just go with that. (laughs) See, I was lost and now saved. But I wasn't told about maturing or discipleship. Uh, It's not anyone's fault But after I had become a Christian, I was kind of left alone a little bit, and I think this is a common experience for many of us. I spent quite a few years stumbling through life without understanding some of the foundational principles of what it was to live the Christian life. What do we mean by saved people matured? I trust John 15 will help us with that today, if you could turn back there with me. Again, the title of the message today is Abide in Christ. How are we to live the Christian life? Well, we need to abide in Christ. You need to be attached to the vine. You know, the secret to living the Christian life, well, it's not a secret. It's abiding in Christ, leading to a joy-filled life, believing in him, then ongoing believing in him. At some point as a Christian, you are saved, born again, and currently you are being saved, which is, we call that sanctification, and ultimately you will be saved, we call that glorification. If you're taking notes, the first point, I'll have it up on the screen for you, the true vine is true life. Now, John 15 is in the midst of a larger section here in the book of John, the Gospel of John. From chapters 13 to 17, this this section is called the Upper Room Discourse. This whole section of Scripture is one evening of Jesus teaching and talking with the disciples after the Last Supper. And it's after Jesus' last Passover meal. In just a few hours, Jesus is going to be arrested, beaten, mocked, and unjustly murdered on a cross. And right away here in John, verse 1, we're going to see Jesus is using this last teaching time to express to his closest followers. There's about 11 disciples, maybe a couple of others. He's going to express his love for them, the life he gives them, and his authority. So in John 15, verse 1, I'd like us to see three things. The first one is the phrase, I am. I'll read it here. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Notice the phrase, I am. You know, the term I am uh, is uh, said in the Gospel of John seven times. If you're reading the Gospel of John, this term, I am, is something important. 
It's Old Testament language referring to Jehovah or Yahweh. It's considered a sacred phrase. I'll list them up here on the screen for you. Again, Jesus uses the term I am seven times. John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John 8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus, John 10.9, Jesus says, I am the door. John 10, 11 to 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here we are in John 15, 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. You know, you don't have to turn there, but in Exodus chapter 3 is when we first hear this I am language. In Exodus 3, God is calling Moses from a burning bush to lead his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses isn't so sure he's the guy to do it. In verse 13 of Exodus 3, Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Well, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say, to this, say to this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. On the screen for you, I like this commentator, William MacDonald, he says regarding Exodus 3, he said, God first revealed himself as Jehovah, the great I am. Jehovah, more precisely Yahweh, comes from the Hebrew verb to be. The name Yahweh was considered too sacred to utter by the Jews. The name proclaims God as self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, and sovereign. See, when Jesus uses this I am language in the Gospel of John, he is declaring, he's declaring it to them then and to us now that he is God. He is self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, and sovereign. You know, we don't worship Jesus because he was a good teacher, and we don't worship Jesus because he was a moral man. We worship Christ, we worship Jesus because he was fully God and fully man. And back to John 15, 1, it says, I am the true vine. Again, what is the true vine? Well, again, the, the idea of true vine, it's another Old Testament reference here. Listen to the language from Psalm 80 as an example. It says in verse 8, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. Again, I've got commentary on the screen for you from the ESV expository commentary. It says, Old Testament background informs what Jesus says in John 15. When Jesus declares himself to be the true vine in verse 1, he identifies himself as the true Israel. By adopting this imagery and applying it to himself, Jesus declares that one's standing in the people of God depends no longer on genealogical descent from Abraham, but on one's vital connection to himself. To be part of the vine, one must be connected to Jesus. This is good news. Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul makes it clear he was an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, but because of Jesus Christ, he considered all of that genealogy rubbish. Jesus is the true vine. He has made a way for Jews and Gentiles to be part of the family of God. John chapter 1 
Verse 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, him being Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is a glorious verse. Have you received the Lord Jesus? Are you a child of God here this morning? Look, I'm here to tell you there is a God. He's perfect, he is just, he loves you, he created you, and yes, we are created beings. We're not a cosmic accident. You're here on purpose. We are sinful. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and because of our sin, we're separated from God. This is bad news. But good news, Jesus Christ, God's son, he is the true vine. He lived a perfect life, killed on a Roman cross. He paid the penalty for your sins and for mine. And God raised him from the dead on Easter Sunday. We celebrated that last week. We're going to celebrate it again this week and then for every week for the rest of our lives. Amen. Response, do you believe this? This true. In Romans 10, it says that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Why not today? If you don't know Christ, you're not a child of God. Today could be your day. All right, back to John 15. Again, verse 1, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Well, uh, we got to talk about the metaphor itself, vine stuff. Again, I'm, a, I'm not a gardener. I'm a golfer. I spent a lot of my life trying to stay away from trees and branches and vines. But I've had fun studying it this week. I'm going to put a couple pictures on the screen for you. You can see there. So that bottom Y-shaped part, that's a mature vine. And you can see there the branches and the fruit. I, I found out those are Concord grapes. And then the next picture, it's even better. I like that one. You can see there, uh, yeah, there's a vine dresser in that one. So that helps us with our text again. Um, Jesus is the vine, the planted root. Uh, in John 1, it says, the word made flesh and dwelt among us. He brings the nutrients to us, the branches. Jesus' vine, we're the branches. And we, by the grace of God, were given life through that vine. God the Father is the vine dresser. Actually, I'll read verses one and two together. It says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, from what I understand, even here in the 21st century, being a vine dresser is hands-on, hard work. It's intense labor. In the same way, God is at work today. The vine dresser is intimately involved in every aspect of planting, growing, maintaining, pruning, harvesting. Notice how in John 15, 2, the vine dresser is aware of every branch. God loves you. God the Father knows every single one of you here today. The Bible says that God knows every hair on your head. And every branch where there's no fruit well, he takes it away. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more later. But pruning, prunes, what, what does it mean to prune? I learned about this this week. For the vine dresser, gardener, or farmer, pruning is an important part of grape growing or fruit tree growing. During specific seasons, uh, vine dressers and gardeners, they will prune the branches so their attachment to the vine strengthens and the roots get stronger. And I think the metaphor is clear. Just like pruning, God uses discipline and trials in the life of a believer to grow our faith stronger. And we are more attached to the vine. 
And back to John 15, verse 3, it says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Just quickly, John 13, John 13 refers to this. It says in John 13, 10, Jesus, right after washing the disciples' feet, he says, and you are clean, but not every one of you. The one he's talking about, of course, is Judas. But if you're taking notes, the next point, point two is this, no Jesus, no fruit, but no Jesus and no fruit. It's clever. Verse 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Love that, abide in me. Some translations use remain in me. Abide means to remain, to dwell, to live, or to stay, to continue for a long time. But abide isn't a passive noun, it's a verb, it's an action word, an active remaining Similar to like 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands live with your wives. That, that doesn't just mean uh, be under the same roof. You do life together. You abide with your wife if you're a good husband. This is an act of remaining. This is a daily, weekly, regular abiding. Remaining and living with Jesus. So this is the key to the Christian life. Are you abiding? And what does this practically look like? Well, prayer, Bible reading, going to church, serving, singing. This isn't rocket science. But are you doing this? Are you reading your Bible on a regular basis? Do you pray and make time to pray a priority? I'm not saying these things to make you feel bad, of course, but these are foundational principles for our Christian faith. It's for your good and for your joy. You cannot grow and bear fruit without these simple steps of abiding in Christ. So I wrote this down, and this will be on the screen for you. This might be helpful. Plan, place, prayer, and pen. You get a plan, find a place, start with prayer, and bring a pen. A plan. Do you have a Bible reading plan? If not, get one. What time are you reading? Is it morning, evening? Do you have a place? Is there a place where you can go even just for five minutes of quiet? And when you have a plan and a place, you start with simple prayer and bring a pen. Simple prayer, asking God, please meet with me today. And a pen to write down what God teaches you. It's amazing how helpful these simple steps are. This is abiding that leads to growth and leads to fruit. And hear this, abiding is not a chore. Abiding does not make God love you more than he already does. Abiding is not a bunch of religious activity. It's not something you get done and move on. It's something you do and move in. Abiding is not a burden or something you dread. Oh, I have to abide again today. Abiding in Christ is a life-giving relationship with the God of the universe who loves you and gave himself up for you. But do we do this? Are we committed to it? Look, I've used and I've heard the excuses. My schedule is so full and life is crazy. I don't know where to start. I'm just not feeling it right now. Well, first of all, don't be led by feelings. Feelings are followers, not leaders. We are led by truth. Where to start is committed discipline. As one of my favorite Peloton instructors says, I make suggestions, but you make decisions. I'm up here preaching, but what do you want? 
Do you want the full joy of Christ himself, John 15, 11? Do you want to grow in your faith, know God's word, be fervent in prayer, be steadfast under trial when it comes? And it is coming. Then you need discipline. You need to commit, persevere, and make good habits. Quite frankly, some of us need to add discipline to our life today. Are you disciplined with your time, your thoughts, what you eat, your entertainment, what you put in front of your eyes? I put this on the screen. Uh, you might, this might help. Discipline, it leads to desire, which leads to devotion. Again, you start with committed discipline. I'm doing this because it's right, even if it's hard. And then committed discipline leads to an ongoing desire. I'm doing this because I want to. I like the results I'm seeing. And then eventually this becomes a true devotion. I cannot live without this habit. This is who I am. You know, you see someone ripped with muscles. They didn't start out with a 90-pound dumbbell. Or you see a long-distance runner. They didn't start out with a marathon. Of course, they started, they started out with simple and small steps. In the same way, you see someone who is godly and bearing fruit for Jesus. It started with small steps of discipline that over time led to a desire to maintain those habits, which is now a devotion. But there's an important point I need to make regarding this abiding. We are most able to abide in Christ because he abides in us. Back to verse 4, abide in me and I in you. How does Jesus abide in us? It's the Holy Spirit. In 1 John 4.13, it says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. In John 14, just before this, verse 16, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John 14, 20, it says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. Look, the born-again Christian has the Holy Spirit indwelling within them. At the very moment of regeneration or being born again in conversion, repentance and faith, the Christian has the full Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the helper, the teacher, the third member of the Trinity. God himself comes to live in you. Your old life dies, your new one begins, praise God. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, teaches you the scriptures, leads you to worship, equips you with gifts to serve others. You know, when I first became a believer in Jesus, I did not know or understand anything about the Holy Spirit. Nobody had warned me that the God who loved me loved me too much to just leave, leave me as I was. You know, what happened to me, there was things I was doing and saying and listening to that I shouldn't have been doing, saying, and listening to. Before Jesus, it didn't bother me. I gave it zero thought. After I came to faith in Jesus, of course, my appetites started to change. The things I did, I wanted to do less and less. Everything was changing because of the Holy Spirit at work in me. I actually didn't like it at first. It was confusing, but, but, this is an aspect of pruning from God the Father. 
The Spirit is always leading you to exalt and lift up Jesus Christ. Just as the branch abides in the vine and is attached to it, the vine is attached to the branch and provides all the life-giving nutrients for the branch to grow and bear fruit. You know, we abide in Christ and he abides in us. But back to verse 4. It says here, A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Just to be clear, we cannot grow our own godly fruit. Sometimes we can be busy with activities. We can do a lot of good things, but it's not necessarily healthy fruit. In Luke 6, chapter 6, verse 43, it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. We only produce healthy fruit when we abide in the true vine. No Jesus, no fruit. But, good news, no Jesus, cano Jesus, and cano fruit, much fruit. Back to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. As we abide, as we remain, as we live with Christ, he abides in us, we produce fruit. On the screen for you, I've written down this. Christian fruit comes from an inner reality that leads to outward activities resulting in effective ministry. What does this mean? Well, of course, the inner reality. We just talked about this. A true Christian fruit is born from an inner spiritual reality, the spirit within us. Galatians 5 is helpful here, the fruit of the spirit. In verse 22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As you abide in the vine, you receive all the nutrients the vine provides. You receive love from God the Father. You receive joy. You receive peace that transcends all understanding, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But this isn't given for you just to hoard it, to keep it to yourself. You are to produce. You aren't called and equipped to sit at home and do nothing. You are called to a community. You're called to a church. Ephesians 2.10, for we are all, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Colossians 1.10, it says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We have spirit-led, God-given jobs to do. This inner reality, spirit-led, to outward activity, God-given work, this results in effective ministry. And what is effective ministry? Well, any work or effort coming from an abiding, spirit-led follower of Christ that results in Jesus Christ being exalted, God being glorified. Matthew 5.16 helps us here. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your work, who gets the glory? The Father. Spirit-led action produces results either in this life or the life to come. You know, sometimes effective ministry fruit can be quite visible. I think of a young church planter in central Alberta whose passion to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and matured people multiplied is a clear evidence of fruit. Welcome 
to Redemption Red Deer. Miss you, Chris. Or sometimes effective ministry is not as visible, but it's Christ exalting nonetheless. Matthew 10, verse 42, Jesus refers to giving a cup of cold water because you're a disciple as effective ministry. See, healthy things grow. Are you growing in fruitfulness? And just to be clear, Christian fruit, Christian biblical fruit, evangelism, winning souls for Christ, Romans 1, growing in personal holiness, Romans 6, financially generous, Romans 15, growing in godly character, that's fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, doing good works, Colossians 1, and passionate sacrificial worship, that's Hebrews 13. God's will for you is sanctification, which means growing to be more and more like Jesus. God's will for you is to be growing and bearing much fruit. But notice the end of verse 5. Of course, I love this part. It says, "From apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When Jesus says you can do nothing, he's referring to nothing of eternal value. You can do nothing that matters, nothing important, no true and effective ministry, nothing that would be of any value or currency in the kingdom of heaven. On the screen for you, I've got this quote from William MacDonald. It says, without Christ, we can do nothing. A vine branch has one great purpose, to bear fruit. It is useless for making furniture or for building homes. It does not even make good firewood. But it is good for fruit bearing, as long as it abides in the vine. (laughs) I love that. How does a follower of Jesus accomplish nothing for the kingdom? Well, not abiding, not attached to the vine. A few weeks ago, I was having trouble with my computer. Uh, I wouldn't turn on. I was pressing every button. I wasn't sure what to do. So, of course, I called my IT department. What's the first question they ask? Is it plugged in? I said, of course it is. And then, uh, like, almost offended, but I looked under my desk. It was not. I wasn't attached, no power. I could do nothing. No beautiful emails written. In the same way, we as believers in Jesus Christ, if we aren't plugged in, if we aren't attached, if we aren't attached, we are useless. And what happens to these unabiding and fruitless branches? Well, in verse 2, of course, I said earlier, they are taken away. Verse 6 If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. It's referring to hell. Hey, look up here for a second. Uh, This is a warning. Jesus makes it clear all throughout the Gospels that we'll be in churches filled, just like this one, with people who look and act like disciples of Christ, but they are not. Listen to this from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. At the end of this life, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You will either hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or you'll hear, depart from me, I never knew you. What do you want to hear? One day the vine dresser will remove false teachers and unattached branches. Listen to this, it's on the screen from Matthew Henry. The fatal consequences of forsaking Christ, if any man not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch. This is a description of the fearful state of hypocrites that are not in Christ. It is just that those who reject him should be rejected by him. Those that abide not in Christ shall be abandoned by him. Let me ask you, are you connected to the vine? Are you in Christ? Is the Holy Spirit at work in you? Let me ask you this this morning. Are you here playing church or are you part of the church? I've written down five warnings for us. I wrote this down. Warning number one, you know you're unattached when you have no conviction of sin. You're here in church this morning, but by this afternoon, you'll be right back to sinful habits without a thought or a care. Hey, this is a warning. Warning number two, you have no desire for the things of the Lord. You're here, but you don't want to be here. Your spouse drags you here. Your parents drag you here. You show up late. You leave early. You don't want to meet anyone. You don't want to be mugged. You just don't care. You don't sing. You don't read scripture. You have no interest participating in a small group. Hey, that's not great. I get having a bad day. You could have a bad month, but... Are you having a bad decade? Maybe you're unattached. This is a warning. Warning number three, not only do you not desire church, but you desire everything that the world offers. All you care about is money, power, fame, pleasure. You come to church, but it's for the network. You want to get noticed. You're not content. You're striving. You're focused on the promotion. You're focused on the next big thing. Warning number four, you don't share. When was the last time you shared the gospel with an unbeliever? When was the last time you even tried to plant a seed for an open door to the conversation? You know, in Luke 9, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. Hey, this is a warning. And warning number five, you can be overwhelmed with with religious activity, but then there's no heart behind it. You're doing what looks good on the outside, but it's just for show. It's a busyness that results in pride. You know, we have a friend uh, back in Oakville, Karen. This was her dad's story. He was busy working within the church his whole life, but he didn't come to Jesus until he was on his deathbed. You know, praise God he did, but he spent years doing religious activity that was a distraction from the real thing a relationship with the Lord. I pray you would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. I beg of you, get attached to the vine. If you're unattached, it's easy to get reattached. It's by the grace of God. Repent, turn from your sin, turn to Christ, rest in his glorious gospel. You could do that today. Looking back at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I love this. The point three, I've got abiding prayer results in abiding glory. 
And notice the first word in verse 7, if. It's a small word, but it's a big word, isn't it? I've heard it said that prayer is the easiest thing to do and the hardest thing to do. I'm going to say that again. Prayer is the easiest thing to do. It's also the hardest thing to do. Isn't that the truth? But those who abide in Christ pray. Abiding in Christ, reading his word, it leads to prayer. Hear me out. Imagine we all knew and understood who we were praying to. Imagine we all knew and how, uh, we all knew how much the one we were talking with loved us and cared for us. And he was able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us because we're connected to the vine, Ephesians 3.20. You know, prayer is to the Christian as swimming is to a fish. It's what we do. It should be something we are good at. Christians are not necessarily good at a lot of things. But prayer and worship is in our wheelhouse. And notice this, if you've been remaining in Christ and feasting on his word, what are you wishing for? It's amazing how when we abide in Christ and seek him in prayer, reading his word again, our wishes and our will changes. We go from thinking about ourselves to thinking about the kingdom. We go from a selfish wish list to a selfless wish list. And does our prayer line up with scripture and the will of God? Our greatest example is the Lord Jesus himself, of course. In just a, a few hours after saying this to the disciples in verse 7, Jesus was in a garden praying. Jesus was about to faith, face the wrath of God on a cross. He was about to suffer physical pain and spiritual darkness we cannot fully comprehend. And what did Jesus pray? Luke twenty-two forty-two says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Was Jesus wishing for the cross? Well, on one hand, no way, but it was the only way, and Jesus' primary wish was to honor his Father's will. In the same way, when we abide in Christ, our prayer life becomes much less about us and our earthly, temporary desires, and we're much more focused on God being glorified. You can come to the Father with anything, but come with a trust and a faith that he knows what is best. And John 15, 8, look down at it with me. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Remember, much fruit comes from the inner reality leading to outward activity resulting in effective ministry. The actions we take result in Jesus getting bigger and not us. Have you seen this in action? I see this in my home. My wife is a humble warrior. She does so many things on helping us and our families and serving the church. I've seen this in many of you. Some of you serve wholeheartedly and you just love the Lord. And this is the proof. It's not for your credit or for your own glory. You love Jesus and you love the church. It's beautiful fruit. Because I see that it's Jesus Christ working in and through you, your Christian life, it, it's so encouraging to my faith. Your passion in worship, your fervency in prayer, your dedication for the truth, your hatred of what is evil, it's fruit. It's beautiful. It's proof that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave and you are a blood-bought disciple. It's you, but it's not about you. 
Isn't that so great? He becomes more, we become less, John 3.30. And I want to make this point. Your fruit is God's fruit. Your fruit might look and taste different than my fruit, and my fruit isn't your fruit, but we are part of the body of Christ. We've all been given different gifts and different roles within the church. And proof of discipleship is not trying to look and sound like others. Abiding and bearing fruit that Jesus does in and through you is God-glorifying, using your gifts and your abilities. Again, you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared beforehand for you to do, not me. And I have good works God's given me to do. So we both get after it. It's fun, it's encouraging, and it's for the good of the church. Our proof of discipleship comes from being attached to the vine and bearing fruit for the vine dresser. He gets the glory. Now, in conclusion this morning, just a reminder, true, true, the true vine is true life. No Jesus, no fruit, but no Jesus, no fruit. Abiding prayer results in abiding glory. Look, the secret to living the Christian life is not a secret. Jesus tells us plainly here in John 15, we are to abide in Christ. I spent way too much time without the conviction or discipline to simply do these foundational activities to abide in the vine. I was powerless and fruitless, or I had my fruit was like little raisins. Our mission statement at Redemption Red Deer, uh, lost people saved, saved people matured, matured people multiplied all to the glory of God. We cannot accomplish our mission unless we have believers in Jesus committed to abiding in Christ. Actually, it's on the screen for you. Uh, Matthew Henry says this, uh, says this in his commentary regarding John 15. We must be fruitful. From a vine, we look for grapes. And from a Christian, we look for Christianity. This is the fruit, a Christian temper and disposition, a Christian life and conversation. We must honor God and do good. This is bearing fruit. I love that. From a Christian, we look for Christianity. Of course. But here in the 21st century, I see that as our greatest need for the Christian to be a Christian, not just to look the part going through the motions on a Sunday, but to have a passionate, overwhelming love for Jesus, that he would be your greatest treasure, that you and I would want to love him and serve him because of the life he has given us. Oh, I pray that we would be a people that would be done with sin and turn fully to Jesus. Are we abiding in Christ? Remember, from a, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We can do nothing as a church, and we can do nothing as individuals. We will not see revival in any way, shape, or form without us first getting simply connected to the vine. Christianity is not a weak and passive faith. The power that raised Jesus from the dead flows from the vine into our feeble branches. Friends, abide in the vine. Stay close to Jesus. Live and remain in him. If you and I are 100% committed to abiding in Christ, we will produce fruit. As Matthew Henry says, let us be Christians. Let us be committed to Christian values in our homes, in our workplace, in our school, and in our community. To God be the glory for what he's doing here in Red Deer. Let's do our part to abide in him, pray like we never have before, and by God's grace and for his glory alone, it is my hope that you would bear fruit, more fruit than you ever have. He's worthy of our very best. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life that you give. I pray, Father, that as we uh, 
As we bow in reverence, I thank you for what you are doing. I pray that we would respond in faith. We are so thankful. Lord, you provide us all that we need. But Father, at the same time, I just pray that we would be so aware of our need for you, that we would worship you and be connected to you. You are worth it. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.